presented by the Common Sense Institute. Welcome to Common Sense Digest, the podcast that seeks to inject a little common sense into Colorado's policy discussion. Here's your host, Earl Wright. Welcome to the Common Sense Digest podcast. My name is Earl Wright, and I am chairman of the board of CSI. Thank you for joining us today. It's hard to believe, but nearly a week from today, the Colorado legislative session is scheduled to end. Over 660 legislative items have been introduced so far. The Colorado budget for 2023 has also passed, which outlines state spending totaling $41.1 billion. To put that in perspective, it's the larger GDP than the countries of Libya, Bolivia, Uganda, Iceland, and dozens of other countries. $41.1 billion also represents a 4.2% increase over last year and the largest budget in Colorado history. And to put that in perspective, uh, the overall budget on a per capita adjusted inflation adjusted basis and research Common Sense Institute has done is up 84% from 03. So we've had some significant increases. That's on a per capita inflation adjusted basis, folks. As the legislature works fast and furiously to finish out the session, much debate remains on top issues pressing Coloradoans, including housing, crime, workforce, to just name a few. That is why I'm joined today for budget and legislative recap with Jake Zambrano and Jordan Sanchez, two real experts in Colorado budget and work at the Capitol most days during the legislative session. Jake is CSI's Director of Legislative Services. Jake, it's great to have you with us again. Welcome. Thank you, Earl. Great to see you again. Appreciate that. I'm also pleased to welcome Jordan Sanchez, the owner and principal lobbyist of Sanchez Policy Works, who specializes in covering the Joint Budget Committee and also provides budget analysis for CSI. Jordan, it's terrific to meet you and have you on board. Thanks, Earl. Glad to be here. Uh, let's start with the state budget. Jordan, uh, the state budget recently passed the legislature after months of work. Jordan, what were the highest themes of this budget? The Joint Budget Committee, the authors of the state budget, have characterized this budget as a quote-unquote implementation budget. So this year was average in comparison. Um, we didn't have a large cut due to COVID or any recession, and we didn't have any extra crazy billions of dollars to spend. So we started spending the one-time dollars that were previously previously allocated, and we're starting to see the beginning of the cliff effects of this one-time spending that has been created. I think all of us are interested, since it's a record budget of $41.1 billion, what are the cliff dollars you're talking about? Approximately what are they that we won't be able to see as resources for our budget in the future? Yeah, totally. So in 2021, I believe, um, the American Rescue Plan Act was passed at the federal level, and that brought $3.5 billion of one-time federal stimulus dollars to Colorado to spend. The way that it was calculated was that the state could actually spend most of that $3.5 billion on any quote-unquote government services, save um, the few restrictions that were outlined in the American Rescue Plan Act. So no offsetting tax decreases and no contributions to pension. Then because of cuts um, taken during the 2020 session when we had, when the pandemic really hit us 
pretty hard. There was a $3.5 billion cut in um, the 2020 session um, to the budget. That actually materialized as a $1 billion cut instead of a $3.5 billion cut. So all of the money that they had the Joint Budget Committee and the General Assembly had saved during that time showed up in future budgets as one-time spending. There is also some, if you talk to economists, some other tax changes that have affected these dollars, these one-time dollars moving forward, but largely it is savings from past budget cuts, and that money has rolled over through one-time spending. And that looks like general fund. So again, it can be spent on any quote unquote government services. And they have spent it on a lot of different things. They've spent it um, in previous years on buying down property tax um, increases. They've spent it on um, starting up the Department of Early Childhood, as well as other. It um, sounds to me like those are pro- departments that will continue to uh, be a part of our budget going forward. So if those are one-time dollars and they went into departments that are going to continue to be there, I, I can't imagine those departments taking less money in the future than they currently are taking, even though they're one-time dollars. But we'll get into that later. Exactly. Uh, hence the clip effect. Yeah. Uh, which departments received the largest funding increases? So in 2023-24, which is the budget that just finished, the Department of Healthcare Policy and Financing, who runs Medicaid, as well as the new Department of Early Childhood, got the largest increases this year. HICPUF, which is the Department of Healthcare Policy and Financing, sorry, we talk an acronym around here. We'll talk about it maybe a little bit later, but the Department of Early Childhood's increase really came from the implementation of universal preschool, which uses a lot of um, Proposition EE dollars, um, but also Proposition E, okay, Proposition EE that we passed, uh, what, two years ago, three years ago? Uh, yeah, I believe it was two years ago. Okay. Um, and now the money is fully rolling in and Universal Preschool is fully starting. So that was um, the largest increase within that department. Okay. You you mentioned uh, Medicare, Medicaid, and, and that, I believe, um, was the largest overall increase that we had. Back in uh, 2012, I uh, wrote uh, an editorial, an op-ed piece and talked to a lot of state leaders uh, about expanding Medicaid under the Affordable Care Act. And I expressed concern that Colorado, Colorado would face the daunting challenge of meeting our constitutional obligations on a balanced budget with diminishing revenues and the rapidly rising costs of Medicaid. It seems to me Medicaid spending uh, seems to be on the rise. Uh, what is the federal Medicaid match? But with regards to that, how is that affecting this year's budget? Yeah, you're totally correct, Earl. Um, Medicaid spending and healthcare spending, especially on the state side, has um, ballooned over time. Um, I think what we're seeing in this year's budget passed during the pandemic uh, was the Families First Coronavirus Relief um, Federal Act. And through that and the federal declaration of a healthcare emergency, the the federal government increased the federal Medicaid match rate, or FMAP, um, again, another acronym, to have a 60-40 Medicaid match rate. So the federal government would would pay 60% of all Medicaid um, expenses, and the state of Colorado would pay 40% of all Medicaid expenses. This happened through the end of the end of the federal 
declaration of health emergency. And that declaration at the beginning of this year, so at the beginning of 2023, actually has now been rescinded. So um, we have... So back, back to what match now? So now we're back to a 50-50 match. So the federal government covers 50% of Medicaid expenses and the state of Colorado covers the other 50%, so which is what we were doing pre the declaration of a public health emergency at the federal level. Okay. Uh, Jordan and Jake, uh, uh, you know I care a lot, uh, deeply about uh, PARA and have been involved in uh, some of the recent administrative efforts, well, actually legislative efforts over the last five years. Can you tell the audience of how PARA was addressed this year and what results we've had? You bet, Earl. <clears throat> That's a great question, and, and and you're exactly right. Your involvement in the um, in the interim committee on pensions um, was a big part of the bill that resulted this session, Senate Bill uh, 56 by Senator Colker in the Senate, which trued PARA up to the uh, General Assembly's obligation to them that they made uh, under the hospital provider fee rewrite back in 2018, I believe, whereas the the, the, the assembly was preparing for um, the unknown in 2020 um, with the, with the outset of the pandemic and and in part of that preparation really slashed the budget back in order to to be able to stay uh, in their minds at the time and you have to appreciate the perspective they all had not knowing what to expect the general fund's obligation to pair at 225 million dollars a year was stricken from the 2020 budget and I think everybody appreciated the context of that decision at the time. Henceforth, now Senator Colker and Representative Byrd, um, who have been champions of parent, introduced a bill this year to true up what was not only the General Assembly's 225 obligation that they foregone in 2020, but also to um, to go above and beyond that to what the, the the present value or the future value of that of that deduction would have been in, in a bill that that uh, I believe has just finished going through the process. I believe the Senate concurred to House amendments just on uh, Wednesday, and that bill has has finished its its way through the process and will be signed by the governor, I anticipate, fairly soon. Yeah, the, the nice thing about it, Jake, was that they actually uh, took into account the lost earnings because right. the 220, 225 would have had uh, the earnings of about a 17.6% if it had been put into the account when it was supposed to be. And they uh, had the courage to actually say, hey, we owe more than just the 220 or 225. We owe the earnings, too. So truing up the bill like they did, I I have to compliment uh, Representative Byrd in particular, who who is the one that led that whole effort. Let's shift the discussion to reflect on the legislative session as a whole. Uh, what's the most important bill for the Coloradoans uh, that was passed this session? or is likely to pass in the last week? What's, what's your judgment? Well, there are over 300 bills this year, so um, picking one is really difficult. I am actually going to say one that is not introduced yet with 11 days left in session, <laughs> um, <laughs> and that is changes to property tax. We will see what it ends up being, but even in its bare bones form, um, it will continue last year's 238, which brought down property taxes in the increased assessment rates that we're seeing post repeal of the Gallagher Amendment. Um, so we'll continue to look out for what that looks like, but um, there have been calls from both conservative and liberal organizations calling for full property tax reform. And um, I believe this bill 
will look to put a line in the sand of where the governor's office and legislative leadership are on that. I think Jordan's exactly right on, on property taxes. And, and it, for most Coloradans and most Americans, their home is is their most valuable um, investment in, in their own little slice of the American dream. I, I do think that, that there's one other bill Coloradans probably wouldn't have known much about or really realized how it would have impacted them. Um, that bill has changed, changed considerably in, in the last 72 hours, and that is the land use bill that, that was introduced about four or five weeks ago. The way that our own individual communities um, plan for how you or I um, buy our homes uh, where we decide to, to make our home in Colorado um, is, is generally uh, prescribed by our local city council or county commission. And, and the proposal in the legislature would have been uh, a monumental step change in that policy in there being kind of a statewide overall policy on what's known as UDOs for local jurisdictions. The, the, the bill has changed quite a bit in the last 72 hours. I, I don't think it goes, well, I know it doesn't go as far as it did when it was introduced, but the, uh, and I think Jordan will attest, and I've, we've both done this a long time, generally big policy shifts don't happen overnight. They take multiple sessions of conversation, and ultimately the General Assembly arrives at a, a good compromise on the policy. And, and so I don't think the conversation's over. I do think um, it, it's something that CSI contemplated in, in one of their housing reports recently, and I think that um, this governor uh, is, is committed to continuing to work towards solutions that are statewide based when it comes to housing, because I do think, as the report found, there is an element that supports affordable and attainable housing within a policy that is fostered uh, at a statewide level. So uh, most Coloradans probably didn't have that on their bingo card, a bill that would have impacted them greatly. Uh, but I do think that policy conversation will continue. And, and I think the end result in one or two more sessions will probably be something that reflects what we recommended um, six months ago in our in our housing study. Well, I know our housing study said we have a, a dramatic uh, deficit in affordable housing in the, in the Colorado. And uh, I know we also suggested that the local zoning uh, could be a problem with regards to that. And let's hope that they can come together down at the state and figure out how to support uh, legislation that will encourage uh, local areas to uh, maybe relook at the opportunity for more affordable housing being built in their areas, but, but also get the financing support to do it, which is what uh, a previous referendum was, 123 that we passed. I don't remember if it was uh, what it was that we actually taking yep. one-tenth of a percent of our AGI which, if I remember the numbers correctly, created between 250 to 400 million dollars of additional funding in the state uh, on an annualized yeah. basis. Um, the Prop 123 cleanup, and they're um, making sure that all communities across the state are able to access some of these fundings. Well, another one that we had closely watched uh, was HB 231118, titled "Fair Workweek Employment Standards," which proposed to establish multiple new requirements on how the scheduling of shift employees must work across the state of Colorado. After much debate, the Fair Work Week bill died. Is, you know, is that a good thing or a bad thing for the service industry workers moving forward? Uh, what's the assessment of that, uh, that bill not making it to the uh, governor's desk? I mean, I think in a year, and Jake, please chime in as well, 
in a year full of um, pro-labor Democrats coming out of a really good election cycle for them. Um, they wanted to push the envelope on workers' rights, and they had done that on a lot of different things, and Fair Work Week was definitely one of them. I think Fair Work Week, where it ended up, was it was the first iteration of um, a policy that um, will definitely be coming back. Like Jake said earlier, um, policies take years and introductions and reintroductions and changes to see progress forward. So I would assume that we see this bill come back, probably to the dismay of the business community and definitely the Colorado Restaurant Association, who was um, in a large opposed position throughout the bill's journey through the legislature. I think what we found is that there are members in the General Assembly that value the businesses and in their communities as well and the vibrancy that those businesses bring and the flexibility that that shift work brings to the state of Colorado. Other important context, Earl, in, in Jordan mentioned it um, with regards to the Colorado Restaurant Association and their opposition to the proposal. In Colorado, we're a part-time legislature. Um, they We only meet 120 days out of the year. When a group like the Colorado Restaurant Association the, uh, or the Colorado Chamber reads strongly opposes a proposal, that there might be a little bit more work left to be done on that proposal. And I think that's what we saw in Fair Work Week. I think the process worked. I do think it'll be back. I do think that all of those interest groups are going to be asked to continue to sit at the table and work through um, solutions to the question. But the, the fact that associations, um, when they come together, just like labor, when, when they band together as one and, and, and present a united front on a topic, um, it's still effective in 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 the capital, and and I think that's a good thing. I think that means the process is working. To to remind our audience, the hospitality hospitality leisure and restaurant industry is one of the largest employers we have in the state, and that's an awful lot of people that uh, employers that would be impacted by what we're saying, as well as employees that would be impacted by it. So. It's not as if we're talking about a small percent of people in the uh, in the state. We're talking about a large percent of the employee base and employer base. Uh, Jake, I want to follow up on, uh, as you know, the, the state land use. I want to follow up on that. Uh, for sure. The local governments, uh, as you know, have determined how the land use is in their communities. And, you know, that's been, my God, that's been around forever. How do we balance that dynamic? I understand we're going to go back and we're going to talk about it some more, but uh, are we in the in, in, all of a sudden becoming a state where uh, local authorities uh, are going to have a whole lot less to say about how their communities develop and, this, and the uh, state government is going to have more to say that if you don't meet certain standards at the state level, uh, guess what? We're going to... Uh, be more engaged in telling you what to do at the local level to meet what we consider to be an overriding concern, and that's affordable housing. Yeah, you better on that. I think that's a that's a great question, and, and one we're going to chew on um, over the next 18 to 24 months in this state. The issue at, at hand, and, and I think it's important to remember that embedded in our state constitution is this authority known as home rule. When a local jurisdiction designates themselves as a home rule jurisdiction, they basically tell the state that um, unless the state otherwise 
uh, preempts um, that they are going to make all of their own decisions to the betterment, good, bad or worse for their communities. And I think that's important when you when you look at statewide proposals that seek solutions What's good for Greenwood Village is not good for Pueblo, is not good for Grand Junction, is not good for Sterling. And, and I think that's why people are moving to Colorado is because we have really attractive communities that have their own identities and, and their own culture and vibrancy and, and reasons for people wanting to live there. The, the governor's proposal, I think in his heart of hearts, sought to uh, elevate that. I do think as a city council person or a county commissioner, I could see the trepidation, you know, I'm on the hook for, for my own community's destiny. And when the state's coming in and says, I got to look like Aspen or I got to look like Greenwood Village, um, that that would make me a little nervous. But I do think and, and we wouldn't be the first state to do something like that. But some sideboards or standards that create sort of the ground rules for development in Colorado is probably a healthy step towards um, making sure our communities all have accessible and attainable and affordable housing but also being able to to maintain their own independence and autonomy when it comes to planning for that. And I think that's a longer conversation than six months. And, and I think we saw that in the amendment that we saw in in the land use bill in 213. Uh, I do think that conversation continues, but it's a tough one. I mean, city council members probably have the toughest job as an elected official in Colorado, because in most cases you are uh, severely, you're, well, you're, most of the time you're non-paid, you get a little bit of a stipend uh, to c- cover your expenses, but th- they're volunteers and they run for office because they want to s- seek change and 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 be a part of a- and a contributor to their communities. To a large degree in Colorado, we're an independent state and, and our heritage uh, underscores that. And I think that legislators at the local level should be trusted with that independence to be able to make what decisions for what's best for their communities. I think what the governor was proposing was some standards that were his his hope was some standards that, that could apply across the board um, and then still give local municipalities some authority to operate within those standards. And I think largely we saw that fail this time around. But um, surely that conversation is not over. Well, hopefully the city councils and the, and the uh, various commissions around the state will say, hey, if we don't do something, uh, we may have the opportunity to solve this issue for our, uniquely for our community, uh, taken right. away from us. Jake right. and, and Jordan, in a few sentences, uh, what was the theme of this legislative session, in your opinion? Uh, in a few sentences. That, that's a great question, Earl. Um, so we saw, uh, controlled by the Democrat Party, by the majority party, with more votes than in the 20th and 21st century. And I, I don't know my 1800s history in Colorado as well, but for the, the 1900s and the 21st century, uh, the, there has been no greater majority of one single party in our legislature. And yet we, we saw for the most part, good collaboration of working across the aisle, bills that went too far, like uh, rent control and fair work week and land use got put on pause for further discussions. You know, the process still works. Uh, the, the associations in Colorado are still a very big part of the conversation. Colorado's workers and, and uh, employees are, are very much respected and recognized in the building. And I think we can all agree as we sort of work our way for, to uh, a little bit more of a progressive state, the, the General Assembly still yielded a lot to the stakeholder and conversation that is uh, the generation of ideas that, that then end up on bill paper 
that then end up as as loss. So uh, I, I, I've been doing this a long time and, and everybody in that building is there for the right reasons. We may not agree on um, policy, but nobody's there uh, to make Colorado a worse place than it was when we woke up this morning. So uh, and, and that I always respect about policymakers. Jordan, what do you think the uh, with the, with regards to a legislative theme this session? What would what would you consider that theme to be? Yeah, I've been doing a lot of reflecting on this as I close up session here this year. I think in a few words, it's a house divided and a party divided. Um, I think it that happens on both sides. Like Jake has been saying, there are a lot of um, Democrats. It, we are only a few short of a supermajority um, here in the state. And I think that that has brought um, a lot of diverse opinions within the Democratic Party um, out. And we've seen the same from the Republican side as well. Um, and that's led to more highly contentious bills, more filibustering and, you know, longer days here at the Capitol. And I totally agree with Jake. I think everyone, all of the legislators are coming into this work with really good intentions and trying to make everything better for the people of Colorado. And I think we are just at a point where um, legislators are further apart on, I think, what that means. You know, Jordan, Jake, one of the things that I'd like to shoot, there was an awful lot of public input with regards to those bills and public input with some pretty, well, with specific data to support their concern as to why they thought the economic impact of what they were talking about uh, legislative would have a negative impact or unintended consequences. And then the legislature, Jordan, seemed to me responded to that and say, hey, you know what, uh, that's additional information we didn't know about before or hadn't had a chance to consider. This, you know, maybe we ought to delay what's going on or maybe stop uh, you know, passage of the bill or modify the bill. I must say I've enjoyed the conversation. Jordan, it's been a pleasure to have you uh, on the podcast and discussing these uh, the topics and the legislation. Jake, it's always a pleasure to hear your insights, and you're kind of an old hand as this, as you suggested. Any final words uh, <laughs> the, to, to leave with our listeners? Mr. Chairman, I would just encourage folks, uh, if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably a policy wonk uh, anyway, but get involved in the process. That, that there's very much um, a, a, an open door policy in the Capitol, uh, and 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 I think CSI and and some organizations similar to CSI have found that when you have credibility, when you provide sound research, when you analyze facts, p- people are are hungry to digest that information, and it doesn't happen in a vacuum. And you got to be involved. You got to get in the arena and, and be a part of the process. You know, I would agree with Jake. Get involved, be a part of the process, as well as do your part within your community. I think that that really um, trickles up to um, the work here at the state. I want to thank both of you for your time. And for those listening to us, thank you for joining us. Uh, and I look forward to joining you in future episodes. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thanks, Earl. Thank you for listening to the Common Sense Digest. For more on today's topic, as well as our research on the most pressing public policy issues facing Colorado, please visit commonsenseinstituteco.org. The preceding episode, along with all others, is available on podcatchers everywhere or on our website under the podcast tab. Our technical producer is John Ekstrom and Deft Communications. This has been a production of the Common Sense Institute.